Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Okay, my name is Theo. I live in a small town outside of Toronto. A longtime neighbor and friend of mine was one of the first to contract. COVID in Canada, um, and unfortunately he was one of the first 100 to pass away. So very early on, I was very aware of the situation and very aware of it in terms of proximity to me. So I, I very early on started having dreams about COVID and one that really stood out was um, I, I was in my house and um, my family all has a Canadian government COVID app on our phones and they're all in the house. And um, I'm walking from room to room, seeing, oh, okay, there's, you know, my kid doing that, or there's my wife doing that. But over time in the dream, I, I suddenly start noticing that they're disappearing from the house one by one. And as that's happening, the COVID alert on my phone starts to beep. And it's beeping and beeping. And as I'm sort of more and more frantically moving about the house, looking for where my family members are now disappearing, uh, the beeping on the phone starts becoming more rapid and more urgent. And then the sound coming from the phone starts to become this very ugly noise, um, sort of a warning. And then it gets to a point where it's just constant. And I'm frantically running around the house and I'm looking at the app and it's giving me all these alerts. And then finally all the noises stop and I look at my phone and the app tells me it's inside of you welcome to that podcast an audio storytelling project for our time that sees writers comedians musicians scientists journalists and everyday people from all walks of life tell us tales of the extraordinary and the everyday to make sense of the world we live in i am the comedian sophie duca I'll be your host, story sherper, and future weird crush. In this episode, that podcast, where Keanu Reeves saves us all using the power of dreams, we take some LSD and try to confront the unconfrontable things in life, we're talking dreams. I'm chasing a giant butt. Just as they were about to open fire, me lucidly dreaming said, no, this this thin, shadowy figure with its rough edges and beetle-like skin. Taking MDMA 
is really interesting when you do it with two therapists right there. <laughs> it is difficult to let go of those things, but disruption is essential, I think, for meaningful change. <laughs> this, this is heaven! <laughs> Dreams are pretty wild when you think about it. You might not normally, but it's the whole point of this podcast, so think about it. Dreaming as an adult human. It's a nightly process of closing your eyes, entering a temporary coma, hallucinating vividly for a few hours before returning to the so-called real world with bits and pieces of memory at best. Why do we think this is normal? Whether you remember them or not, odds are you're embarking on some level of unconscious escapades every damn night. Or day. I'm not spyware. I don't know when you sleep. Until pretty recently, we didn't even understand why we sleep. Only in the last five to ten years have studies begun to demonstrate that the actual reason we sleep is so that the brain has time to flush out neurotoxins, which build up as a side effect of our brain's conscious activities. If this nightly cleanup doesn't happen, the toxins build up in our neural pathways and lead to all sorts of impaired brain function. This can make sleep-deprived individuals grouchy, sure, but can also trigger serious illnesses like Alzheimer's and depression. Other studies indicate that the brain processes memories during sleep and dreams, consolidating learning and processing experience. The brain. What a multitasker. We love to see it. Semi-prophetic dreams have been reported throughout history. Danish physicist Niels Bohr allegedly dreamt the structure of the atom. Srinivasa Ramanujan was a 20th century mathematical genius with an active <coughs> nightlife. He said that the goddess Namakal came to him in dreams, saucy, to present him with complex mathematical formulas, less saucy, which he would test and verify when awake. Since we're all friends at this point, I'll tell you a secret. My sleep has always been freaky. From insomnia to sleep paralysis, you name it, I've self-diagnosed with it. I think it comes from being the kind of nerdy kid my teachers called eccentric and my classmates called fucking weird. As a preteen, I obsessively practiced techniques I believed helped me consciously create and control events in my own dreams as they were happening. That's right, a true hipster, I was lucid dreaming way before it was cool. If ever there was a time to talk about dreams, it's now, when humanity's dreamscape is drastically changing. Ever since March 2020, an increasing number of people have been experiencing unusual sleep phenomena. Any guesses as to why? It's hard to argue with the timing. The global COVID-19 panna cotta has slipped between our sheets, snuggled up real coy, and snuck into our subconscious. And since there's seemingly no escaping COVID as a concept, why not investigate it? When better to discover what our brains get up to behind the scenes than in the wake of a pando that rot the world? In times of disruption, strangeness, and trauma, there's always a big cultural blurring of the lines between our conscious and unconscious minds. So, how are COVID, Brexit, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the million other what the fuck moments of the last 12 months showing up in our collective imagination? It's gonna be tricky getting my answer. I'm going to interrogate academics, debate what dogs are chasing in their sleep, spill the lucid dreaming tea, and barely hold myself back from wholeheartedly endorsing hallucinogenics. Hopefully, this deep dive will help us try and make sense of all the anxiety, stress, and trauma showing up in our nightly imaginings. But crucially, 
It might shed light on how we can make our dreams of a kind of fairer future a waking reality. It's going to be one hell of a ride through the collective dreamscape. So keep listening, pop the red pill, and I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Act one, where Keanu Reeves saves us all using the power of dreams. I was having a dream about working from home and I get a phone call and they say, I've got an inquiry for you. Now I look at my computer screen and there's a hand coming through it. I grab the hand and I pull Keanu Reeves out of my computer screen. Now what's weird about this is he, well, I mean, there's a lot weird about it, but he comes through the computer screen and then he gestures towards the door and Keanu says, now all you got to do is open. So then I open the door and it's a big platform, like a diving board out onto vast Saharan landscape. So in the dream, I was inside the game Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, I was helping Keanu Reeves get inside uh, a harvester plane and the plane was, uh, how do I say this, it was loaded up with the coronavirus uh, treatment. So we flew up uh, in a cyberpunk uh, themed China with a harvester plane spraying the treatment all over the city. Uh, it was a weird dream to be honest. Over 2020 and 2021, gathering data on people's weirdest pandemic dreams kind of became a hot new trend. Everyone who was anyone jumped on the Sleepy Time survey bandwagon, from the Aquan Dreams Twitter account to the Dream Research Institute. We even did a tiny bit of dream collecting ourselves, as you can hear from the testimonials peppered through the episode. And now, this might just be us, but when we were researching and collecting dreams, we had one reported dream presence that unexpectedly popped up a few times. Recurring cameos from Hollywood veteran Keanu Reeves. I've no clue what it is about the guy who was John Wick that might make him randomly surface in the choppy waves of our collective consciousness. Picture the dream scenes. Keanu on Blackpool Pier, pistol whipping the virus, enforcing social distancing with an Uzi, army rolling behind some crates stuffed with essential items before blowing a contaminated cruise liner sky high. I mean, why Keanu? Why is he here? Why now? For these truly hard questions, and to satisfy my insatiable curiosity, we invited on the endlessly impressive Dr. Caroline Horton. Caroline's a sleep scientist. More precisely, she's an academic cognitive psychologist. She runs the project Dreams Lab, hosts her very own podcast, The Sleep Science Pod, and lives in Lincolnshire with her partner, two daughters, and a horse-sized dog. No big deal. Hi, Caroline. Hi, Sophie. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I'm a psychology academic, and I'm the director of what we call Dreams Lab. Uh, which is based in the university in Lincoln. So I feel like I've got the coolest job in the world. That does sound like the coolest job in the world. (laughs) Do you remember your last dream, Caroline? I do not. Do you generally remember your dreams? No, because I sleep quite well. And it's a bit of an irony. You would have thought that, you know, we do a lot of work with dreams. You would have thought maybe I'm really in tune with them. But no, I don't. I mean, I don't think you necessarily need to remember them actually to benefit from them. And most of the time we do forget them. So are they like something that just happens? Like, are they a side effect or is it important to dream whether or not you remember it? Is it just a side effect of sleep? 
quite possibly I would say it's part of sleep that's how we tend to think of dreaming because to say it's a side effect kind of pushes it down the priority list yes sleep is really important but to say dreaming just happens in the background makes it sound like it's not so much of a priority what we think is happening is when we go to sleep we're kind of shutting out the external environment. We're focusing on our internal processes and our internal thoughts. But if you think about the benefits of mindfulness or meditation, that's kind of what we're doing when we're asleep. And so it's really a fundamental part of that process to have that experience where you're just locked in on your own thoughts. And yes, they can be a bit crazy, but we think that's part of it. And they're usually really emotional too, actually. And and we think that's also functional. But a lot of dreams are pretty weird. I had a dream last night that a bartender I ghosted in Accra, Ghana, was... um... (laughs) was hunting me down my friends were like he's coming for you Uh, and then this morning I had a missed call from uh, 233 number which is the Ghana area code so maybe that is happening but um, I've had dreams about complicated fight scenes I've had dreams of flying I've had dreams of you know lots of weird and wonderful things happening and how is that helping like right now because the pandemic people are having dreams about Keanu Reeves is why (laughs) i mean part of the bizarreness comes from from two things with dreams one we have a memory bias towards the bizarre stuff so we tend not to remember the mundane but the other element of bizarreness comes from you know dreaming of keanu reeves might seem bizarre maybe not if he was in the netflix series that you were watching (laughs) last night but it might be a bit bizarre if he is um in your kitchen stroking your cat that bizarreness comes from the fact that you've got these different memory sources that individually you've probably encountered and they're not that strange but when you put them together they take on a new meaning so the bizarreness comes from that recombination so why are we doing it we think it's helping strengthen the memories for those individual bits And when you take them out of their context, so if you put Keanu in your kitchen, you're probably more likely to recognise him after dreaming about that than just when you see him on Netflix. So there's something perhaps that's functional in terms of strengthening your memory by mixing it up and putting things in these different contexts. Like it's sort of where's Wally with Keanu Reeves being like, do you know who he is? Do you you remember the Matrix? Do you really? (laughs) How about here? Is this Keanu? But in terms of the more like emotional and symbolic things that happen in dreams, Is it true that if you're naked in a dream, you have a certain kind of anxiety or something happens to you? Do the tropes of dreams match up with real things that happen in people's lives that are about their immediate bedroom situation? Yeah, it is so hard to try and test whether something is metaphorically represented in a dream because it's so (laughs) subjective. We've tried more fallers and we haven't got very far because it's just so bloody hard. We don't really know whether that metaphorical representation is useful, Mm -hmm. but What we do know is that the more REM sleep we have, so REM, rapid eye movement sleep, is sleep that we have more of after we've had a load of deep sleep. And rapid eye movement sleep is associated with creativity, insight, problem solving. And that's concurrently sort of associated with us having these kind of dreams that might be a bit more metaphorical. I don't know if they're meant to symbolically represent anything from our waking lives. I'm a little bit cautious about that, to be honest. But I think that, like we said earlier, those individual fragments that we can recognise, when they're put together, they take on a new meaning. And actually, maybe it's that reorganisation that allows us to think a little bit more creatively. What are the effects of the pandemic likely to be on people's sleep and what they dream about when they're out? 
people on the whole are sleeping longer than they did now than pre-pandemic, but the quality of sleep has gone down. So actually what's happening is people are having more disturbances throughout the night, waking up, not being able to get back to sleep. Some people aren't getting to sleep as quickly, but then they're sleeping in for longer to compensate, but actually that's still affecting their sleep quality as a result. And, and you know, people have been worried. Anxiety levels have gone up since the pandemic, as you would absolutely expect. And there've been some national peaks. Um, so there've been a couple of instances on Boris briefing days when we've been given some pretty hard hitting information. And it's a bit like wartime in Britain when everyone is kind of crowded around the wireless, We're all sharing in this. And anxiety levels nationally have peaked afterwards. So calls to mind and the Samaritans have absolutely rocketed the following day. Yes, we think people are dreaming differently. We do think that they're, you know, they're dreaming of the virus. Of course they are. And they're dreaming more of threat related information. So myths about what we can and can't do in dreams. Can you clear these up for us? Mm-hmm. Can you die in dreams? We probably think we can experience it, but it's one of those things where, you know, no one's ever lived to tell the tale, have they, as to what it's really like when you're dying <laughs> in a dream. So who knows? <laughs> but I've certainly had that experience where, you know, in a dream I was shot and I felt like I was losing consciousness. What actually happened was I was waking up. Mm-hmm. So when there's that change in consciousness, it's quite often when you're waking up. The emotion of the dream woke you up. Maybe you were waking up already and then you kind of post hoc changed your dream to kind of fit in with what you're feeling at the time. Can you read and write in dreams? Most people say not. Occasionally people report tapping away on their phone or trying to get a message out in their dream. We don't think it's the actual cognitive function of reading and writing because actually that's a bit too demanding uh, and the state that your brain is in when you're dreaming and when you're asleep is such that your your frontal lobes, which in humans are quite sizable and help us with things like planning for the future, organizing our tasks, decision-making, they're really relatively impaired when we're asleep. So all of that kind of human, clever, cognitive stuff, we just don't have the capacity to do so well when we're asleep. Uh, and lastly, can you taste food and drink in dreams? Yes, we think so. We think what happens most of the time is If you have quite a sensory experience when you're asleep, it's probably coming from what you're actually perceiving at the time. So if you taste something, you might have a dry mouth. (laughs) You might just need a drink. (laughs) When people have dreams of their teeth falling out, they're often grinding their teeth. Or if they're having trouble breathing, they might have the duvet over their mouth or a bit around their neck. So it's kind of physically making sense of the sensation that's current. I find that really depressing because I once was about to eat like an amazing pizza in a dream, like a really good pepperoni pizza. And then I put it in my mouth in the dream and it just tasted like paint. And I've always suspected that I'd sort of like rolled over on my side and was licking the wall. And now that seems like a much stronger possibility. I'm sorry. Sorry, that that's probably the truth. (laughs) But wouldn't it be great if we could just enjoy a great feast uh, in our dreams? That would be nice. (laughs) I've had a dog. Sure. I'm a fully rounded person. I've had a pet dog. It was a Vimarana. Uh, His name was Casper. And whenever he closed his eyes and fell asleep, he'd look like he was like sort of twitching or chasing something or jumping 
do the way that other same mammals dream, like cats and dogs? Do we think it's pretty similar or is there a special aspect to human dreaming? Yeah, it's an annoying answer, but we don't know because Casper probably couldn't tell us. And that's such a shame because there's lots of things that I would like to talk to my (laughs) dog about. We don't know. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of those kind of physical aspects of sleep we see in newborns and in a number of species and, and certainly in dogs. And dogs have been pretty well tested for this. So, you know, they might be capable of sort of reliving a few memories but what we think they don't have is that capacity to kind of really live the memory with the self you know knowing I am Casper the dog and I'm I'm this handsome looking grey dog and this yeah, is where yeah. I put my bone because I knew that my owner wasn't going to find it there they probably might have some kind of awareness of, of digging a bone because maybe that's functional for them but whether they have that whole consciousness with it <laughs> that we call a sense of self that we we think is unique to humans but we we don't know um probably not jury's out mm. on that one So, no, I can't give you the down low on dreaming dogs. Not even when the brilliant Dr Horton is taking the lead. But I can treat you to the next best thing, a pup-focused performance. Giving you the canine content you never knew you needed, here's a piece by the award-winning playwright Abby Spallon, The Emperor, Warhol and The Queen. Running, running, always running. The trick being to establish very quickly if I'm running from something or running toward it or if it is a thing, that can depend, but always running. I've got this power, you see. It lifts me like wind is my ally, velocity in free fall now. I am an ancient China I like. I am 3,000 years old. I fight for the emperor. I am one of 5,000. The foot of a Chinese warrior parts the grass in front for me. The cries of death spur me on. The clash of spears, the sweet metallic smell of blood reaches some hinterland, some place inside me that bids it with glee. Why do I see these things? Is it stress? Snow cushions me. I am buoyant and never wet. Thundering feet. My beautiful feet. Wait a minute. I'm at a standstill. Oh no. I'm caught by the what? What is that? The what? She has just trod on my foot. My beautiful beige foot on an ugly beige carpet in a frankly inconsiderately beige house. She is an idiot. Yes, I sleep in the middle of the doorway, but I am a chow chow. Avoid me or get a dark hardwood floor. Parquet would be nice. Cold on my bits. I would very much like. Thank you, but I'm not really that grateful, actually. My paw will hurt now all day. Cheers. She fluffs me on the mane with that strange hairless paw she has. I'd like to snap that ugly paw or claw or thing, but she needs it to open my food. 
I need it still attached to her for her to open my food. For some reason, despite my utter perfection and enhanced breeding program, I have yet to acquire opposable thumbs. And yet the idiot has two. I therefore choose to see those in possession of opposable thumbs as a utility. It isn't me opening the damn food. Apparently they're all weird now. Dreams. Not just mine. I am no longer unique. I have contenders. Apparently. The battle is won by me. The rest were average. It is my victory banquet. I smell food and then so much food arrives. I like salmon and chickens and squeezy cheese from a tube. And I sit a table. It is fed to me by hands. Every now and again, I nibble at a cheeky finger. And the finger too is mine. I am raised up, still eating, fingers in my mouth, rows of them, rows and rows of opposable thumbs soaked in full fat primula. All for me. She calls me for my food. It is kibble. Can I tell you how much I dislike the kibble? There is not enough stink eye in the world. I resolve to eat her bloody kibble and then wipe my face on her furnishings. That, I can assure you, is not a metaphor. I have two fur coats, you know. Oh, the decadence. I am in Manhattan with Warhol and Bianca Jagger. She is naked in that white suit. A dance floor, Studio 54, a photo shoot for Vogue, caftans and moo's and flowers everywhere. Big sunglasses, fur coats, none as good as both of mine. There is a photographer, I bite him, then I bite Warhol, Bianca survives, but that was uncool, daddy-o. Warhol films me, sleeping. I'm not like. I am disturbed. Again. She's staring at me now. She looks at me like she loves me. Why is she looking at me? Yes, I stare at her constantly in a frankly insidious way, but why does she, right now, feel the need to reciprocate? Why is she even here? This is my house? I am a child? I let her in of an evening, and I even let her live through the night, but the daytime is mine? I am a solitary being. More like cats, they say. I actually find that kind of insulting. But lately she is here. Why? I really am quite ragged. Oh, hang on. Yes. Scratch right there. Ooh, hello. She has her uses. Again, an idiot with fingers. I'm chasing a giant butt. I will admit that my frequent ventures into surrealism can be overwhelming to the uninitiated. Must have been all those drugs with Bianca in New York. 
The giant butt is just out of reach. I chase it through wet grass, wet butt, wet grass. I am, however, unencumbered by the damp. My people cheer me on, chasing the butt. I fly past them all. They are my subjects. I grace them, and all while running, the giant butt is still out of reach. It winks at me in disdain. I feel suddenly vexed. I look down and all my fur has gone. My subjects are laughing. I'm not like, I'm not like at all. Her noise wakes me up. I check my fur. It is intact. Right now, she is dancing to something called kitchen disco. So much time watching tiny people trapped inside a tiny box. I sometimes try to kill and eat the tiny people, but the box always holds. <laughs> She's no ballerina. Irish ankles. Joyce would have called her beefed. Oh, look. She's suddenly out of breath. Patty. I do my best to give her an insufferable side-eye, but it is a difficulty when I have no peripheral vision. I pee in her shoes. Queen Victoria has been attending a ballet performance with me at her side, because it was she who brought the child to these shores. These dancers, though, my prey drivers right up. I could easily manage a ballerina, pick my teeth with her. Look at them, moving sideways in a row, dressed like... Are those ducks? Well then, what do you expect? And then I notice... No. Not in here. All of the ballerinas have Irish ankles? They're dancing to kitchen disco? And Queen Victoria is giving me kibble? What? Get that away from me! I would have thought you, Vicky, of all people would understand! This morning, I missed her inconsequential little shuffle round the kitchen. She sleeps late. Oh, this is funny. In a futile attempt to establish herself as the Alpha, she does this thing where she feeds herself first and then me. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, Jesus, she's crying. I'm faintly embarrassed for her. And normally, I would have my eye on that food she has now decided she can't eat, but my embarrassment has stymied my appetite too. I have no real idea why I do this, but I go and sit beside her. Then I do some zoomies and she smiles. The smile is one. Oh dear me, I don't really do one. I have over 300 million olfactory receptors in my nose compared to about 6 million in the human. And the part of my brain that is devoted to analysing smells is about 40 times greater too. I smell something on her. Something bad. She seems fatigued, diminished. If she were prey, I would attack. I feel bad about pain in her shoes. I resolve instead to chew up my nether regions really noisily and only when she is eating. I'm sorry, 
She may be ill, but neither Bianca nor I can forgive the kibble. Again with the running. I'm back with the Emperor. This time we are being chased. A warrior kicks me out of the way. Everyone is masked. There is something behind him chasing us all. I sense a prey drive more ferocious than anything I possess. I am not the prey! I don't like this. I don't like this. It smells bad. It smells of not but. Now I hear a sucking sound. The warrior is rooted to the spot. He begins to move backwards, struggles against this sucking thing. My fur stands up. I too am being sucked toward it. This noise will kill us all! I wake. It is the robot Hoover. I attack. I will protect us all. She stays in bed all day, barking. She has an impressive bark. We don't go out now. She looks wretched. The house is in disrepair. I myself need groomed. Surely she can smell me. I, somewhat telepathically, try to get her to take me to my groomer. Not a chance. Instead, she crawls from bed to bowl to open my food. I smell my own stink and take whatever comfort I can in the knowledge that opposable thumbs must be the last to go. The bark is quieter today. I should be comforted by that, but I'm not. She hardly moves. I am not fed. I sit at the end of her bed. It's not that I care, but I do feel... Is it wind? I dream that I have killed her. I cannot help it. I starve and my prey drive kicks in. I sleep at her feet and cry out in anguish. I kick about me. It is a terrible dream. I feel a hand on my flank. She deliberately wakes me. Has hauled herself up to comfort me. Strokes my mane. I smell her love for me. It overwhelms the smell of her sickness. It dissipates it. Or the sickness has dissipated, has it? I am confused. I do notice that despite my ravenous hunger, my prey drive seems to have checked itself. I look in her eyes. I resolve to bring myself down to her subpar intelligence level in order to communicate with absolute clarity. No, do not stop me. I have to. This is important. With my eyes, I tell her that she will be okay. I squint very hard and somewhat telepathically inform the idiot that she will be fine. For I am Chow, an ancient breed. My dreams are immortal. My spirit shifts any axis, even one as bad as this. And I, in my magnificence, have decreed it henceforth that she be allowed to live.
Again, it's just the thumbs. Honest to God. That was The Emperor, Warhol and the Queen by Abby Spalton. Abby got a chow-chow during lockdown. I hope the poet and her new pup are both thriving. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. As fascinating as Fido's night terrors may feel, the vast majority of us do not speak dog. But we could and should speak to each other. We're all surrounded by other dreamers who speak our language and have first-hand intel on what's occurring inside their sleepy heads. If you look at the data provided by scientists like Dr. Deirdre Barrett, you can actually track the events of 2020 and 21 pretty well. Anxiety dreams about lockdown turn into anxiety dreams about easing restrictions, turn into anxiety dreams about schools opening, turn into anxiety dreams about the second lockdown and the third and the 47th. Our dreams tell the story of world events through the lens of our worries and fears. Matt Hancock meets Freddy Krueger kind of thing. Close to Christmas 2020, I dreamt that Boris Johnson barged into my room while I was on a Zoom call and arrested me in my pajamas because I was not wearing a mask in my room. <laughs> I was like, is this tier seven? What is going on? <laughs> so yeah, I just noticed that my dreams gradually started getting crazier with the whole pandemic. Processing new scary information, learning things, wrangling emotions. Can't we just opt out of the anxiety package? Make our own dream decisions? Can we swap Keanu for Idris Elba? Well, the answer is maybe. Strong maybe, weak yes. But it's not easy. Yep, we're back on my preteen bullshit, my number one nighttime hobby. It's the most fun you can have with your pajama bottoms on. I'm talking lucid dreaming. The phenomenon in which a sleeping person can realise that they're dreaming and influence their dreams, even control them entirely. Daniel Erlacher, a Swiss researcher, ran a study to see if by practicing something in a dream, you could actually get better at it in real life. The lucid dreamers who participated in his study were told to practice one simple physical activity, like 
chucking a coin in a cup while dreaming, and Daniel then measured whether the participants improved in that task in their waking life. And amazingly, they did. Imagine practicing an instrument or a sport in your sleep and genuinely getting better at it when awake. I know, the oboe's a teensy bit more complicated than tossing a coin in a cup, but same concept, right? Want to jump on the lucid dream bandwagon? Well, Daniel had a handy-dandy DIY method. When you go to sleep, set your alarm clock to wake you up in six hours. When the alarm goes off, stay up for an hour and think about the dream you just had. Was there a particularly dreamlike aspect, something magical and out there that was clearly a dream fantasy? Was the sky purple? Did pigs fly? Did Piers Morgan genuinely apologize for something? Think about the nature of the fantastical things in your dream and how impossible they were, and then try and remember these as signals to yourself in your next dream. If something impossible like that happens again, you'll know you're dreaming. After an hour of staying up like this, go back to bed. This time should be the perfect moment for lucid dreaming. According to our friend Daniel, there's a possibility that even if you're not naturally prone to it, you can train yourself into lucidity this way. Either that, or your neighbours will get so sick of your alarm going off at all times of night, they'll do a streetwise campaign to get you evicted. Basically, when you notice that you dream, you usually do that by doing reality checks. So, for example, you look at your hand and count your fingers, because mostly in dreams you have either like six or four fingers. Uh, For some reason you don't have five. So when you notice that, you can recognize that you dream. Um, You could also close your nose with your fingers and try to breathe. And if you're still able to breathe, you're in the dream because in real life, as you know, you are not able to do that. If you want to learn how to lose a dream, I would suggest you start doing the reality checks really regularly during the day. After you've done that for a few days or weeks, your brain will notice that as a habit. And then it's so natural for you to do the checks that you will also do them in your dreams. I did have one lucid dream four days ago and I went to Hogwarts. Uh, So the first thing I saw was a big breakfast table and Snape was doing pancakes. And also Lucius Malfoy was there with his typical look and he was carrying around a plate with buns on it. So that was pretty strange to see, but also really fun. I wanted to hang out with Draco Malfoy, so I just left and went into the next room with the intention that Draco would be there. Um, We just hung out, we were friends, I guess. Creating lucid dream artworks was something I dabbled in as a teenager, but kind of forgot about it for a long time. So it is due to the pandemic that I started doing this art practice again. I was always interested in the surrealist artists like Dali and Magritte, but whenever I tried to depict my own dreams and paintings or drawings, it always was a bit disappointing because it seemed like such a huge gulf between what I experienced in the dream and then trying to recreate that. So once I discovered lucid dreaming, I thought that'd be a good way to address that issue because I thought rather than trying to just depict something I'd seen in the dream, I would create an artwork directly in the dream and recreate that when I wake up. So I think of my drawings of not just drawings of dreams, but drawings from dreams. So for example, at the moment I'm experimenting with 
going into my lucid dream, finding a piece of paper and a pen, and then I just draw a simple circle. I start with a very simple initial piece of input, and then other things will appear on the page in the dream. So all my drawings are a mixture between lines I've drawn myself and then other more mysterious content which comes from the dream itself or from my subconscious mind, however you want to describe that. Some of it looks fairly similar to primitive art that you would see on like in cave paintings or something like that. People look at it and try and read meanings into it and try and figure out what it is. But I mean, it's, most of the images that come out of this process are as mysterious to me as they are to anyone else. But lucid dreaming could be more than just superficial wish fulfillment. Dr. Deirdre Barrett at Harvard, a legend we've mentioned already this app, points out that trauma survivors, like me, often revisit their trauma in recurring nightmares. And even if they work through things to some degree and don't have those dreams anymore, dreams can be reactivated by times of major crisis, like during a global pandemic. These psychic wounds, as Deirdre calls them, can reopen whether the current disaster feels relevant to the trauma or not. Which sucks, obviously. To overcome this, Dr. Barrett suggests that it might be possible to incubate what she calls mastery dreams, where you can realise that you're dreaming and interfere, changing the outcome of these trauma dreams, breaking the cycle, and releasing your mind from the compulsion to repeat. Holy catharsis, Batman! For about two or three years, I had reoccurring nightmares where I was being hunted or members of my family were being hunted and they didn't end pleasantly. So after a number of years of this happening, I started trying to teach myself how to lucidly dream. And the way that I taught myself how to do that was to keep a very strict dream journal. So I had a notepad by my bed and if I woke up during the night having had one of these dreams, I would write it down. And I remember vividly the one and only time I've been able to lucidly dream. So I was in uh, ex-army Land Rover with about six of my friends and we were being chased by armed guards and my friend who was in the dream, Simon, his name is, uh, got into the driver's seat and we drove away. And there was a fork in the road and Simon took the right hand fork and these military guys caught up with us and just as they were about to open fire, me lucidly dreaming said, no, I didn't wake up, but I realized I was dreaming and rewound my dream back. And when we got to the car, I got into the driver's seat and as we were going to this fork in the road, I took the left hand fork and we managed to get away. And then I woke up fairly quickly afterwards. But I realised I was dreaming at the time. I knew I was dreaming and I knew I could go back to that point and make a different decision. And it completely stopped my recurring nightmares. Dream mastery sounds amazing. And yet. If the potential of lucid dreaming is so vast, why aren't we all teaching ourselves to lucid dream, either so we can skill up on TikTok dances or release ourselves from cycles of traumatic memory? Lucid dreaming is a little like Bitcoin. No one non-nerdy truly understands it. So, from one nerd to another, I'm calling back dear friend Dr. Caroline Horton to dig deeper into lucid dreaming mysteries. So, lucid dreaming, one of my favourite things to talk about because I believe that I can and have lucid dreamed. 
what is it and how does it work? Okay, so when we're awake, we refer to lucidity as clarity, you know, having that mental acuity that gives us some insight. But when we're asleep, it's a bit more basic than that. It's just knowing that you're dreaming while you're dreaming. And and most of the time we don't have that, of course. So when we're dreaming, we just accept it's happening at the time and, and we kind of think it's real. It's only occasionally that we might think, hang on something's weird here you know actually Keanu's in my kitchen and he shouldn't be in my kitchen therefore I must be asleep so it happens sometimes but not very often it's often associated with being able to control your dreams but actually that's only a very small proportion of lucid dreams and only a few people really have been able to experience that where you know they might say I really want that pepperoni pizza therefore I'm gonna take myself down to the local takeaway and I'm going to get the biggest pizza I've ever had and I'm going to enjoy it. That would be fantastic if we could all do it. But most of us can't. So I had a dream when I was younger. I had a dream. I was in a house with my brother. The house was full of ninjas that were trying to kill us. A common theme in my dreams. Of course. (laughs) And in the dream were two people that looked like my parents, but were ninjas trying to kill me. We then ran away from the ninja parents down the stairs into the cupboard under the stairs. And I said to my brother, don't worry, this is a dream. All you have to do is wake yourself up and you won't be killed by the ninjas. So I then woke myself up and then walked from my bedroom in real life to my brother's bedroom and saw him still fast asleep. And instead of waking him up as well, I left him to die. In terms of that dream, is waking yourself up something that you can genuinely decide to do? Is the sort of agency I had in that dream genuine, do you think? It's one of these things that's difficult to establish cause and effect. I suspect you are probably waking up anyway. Your body's still asleep, but your brain is kind of waking slightly more quickly. And that's Mm -hmm. what led to you having that lucidity rather than vice versa. So Mm -hmm. there are a few really cool experiments where people have looked at trying to communicate with people while they're asleep. So it takes ages to train people up to be able to lucid dream. And the way that they communicate is by structured eye movements. So while they are asleep, they can indicate that they are in lucid dreaming by moving, you know, left, right, left, right, left, right, three times. The experimenters will say, okay, We think that you're dreaming now and then we'll ask them a question and they can actually respond. That's kind of the most interaction that's been evidenced between someone who's asleep and someone who's awake. But again, what we think is happening is these people who are able to lucid dream are just pretty good. They're probably pretty good in waking life. And we've sort of shown this with some of their kind of frontal activities anyway. So that Mm -hmm. bit of the brain that I said earlier, it tends to be less active when we're asleep. Some people, they have bigger frontal lobes. They just tend to use them more when they're awake and consequently when they're asleep as well. And equally, some people just wake up sort of more slowly so they're aware that they're waking up and then that's just carrying over into their dream state. So I have a lot of recurring dreams, a lot of dreams that happen in the same place, like an avenue in my school. Mm. I have experienced lots of instances of sleep paralysis. Mm. So I feel like maybe there's something going on with me where I maybe move more slowly between the dream states. So how old were you when this was happening? I was early teens, but I Mm. had a lot of sleep paralysis when I was like in my early 20s. 
and haven't really had lucid dreams since I was a teenager. To be honest, I'm not surprised about the age that this is happening. So when we're teenagers and then sort of late teens and heading to early 20s, we've got this thing when we're awake called the reminiscence bump because we're doing loads of things. You know, there's lots of firsts, lots of change and kind of maybe moving to different places and trying new things we tend to remember more of those experiences like when we're older than from any other time in our life. So we're kind of primed. It's pretty much downhill neurologically from the early 20s onwards. You know, it's, we just start forgetting things. Our brain cells die from that point onwards. But more positively, we're in a prime, kind of in the late teens, and we're doing lots of cool stuff as well. So it's not surprising that our dream life is particularly active at that point. And also, actually, when we're dreaming now, that we tend to go back to that time and to our school settings and that kind of thing. A lot of dreams take elements from now Mm -hmm. or things that we did the previous day, but it might be happening in the school that we went to or we're late for that exam in the school or we're in the Mm -hmm. house that we grow up in as a kid. So that's all quite common. And the sleep paralysis, I mean, again, when we were teenagers, we have a really natural shift to go to bed later and to sleep in later. You know, it's associated with teenage misbehavior, but it's just a very natural thing that everybody does. And when there's a bit of a mismatch between your sleep schedule and what you need to do, so you need to be up early in the morning, yet you need to sleep, you're more likely to have those instances of being asleep, but having to get awake. So those paralysis kind of experiences to happen in your early 20s, late teens is also quite common. On that note, let's go into a slightly more serious place and do my favourite thing to do as a queer woman, which is talk about trauma. (laughs) Do we think that sleep and dreams can help us work through that? And if we have dreams that revisit traumatic events, is that a good thing, a bad thing, a neutral thing? Yeah, that's really interesting. We're pretty sure that sleeping and likely dreaming as well helps us to process emotions. When we're talking about trauma, it's a bit of a different kettle of fish because trauma by definition is extreme and it's excruciatingly painful. In the cases of people with post-traumatic stress disorder, who may experience flashbacks, so something awful has happened to them, they can't control those bursts in of of reliving that trauma. And that happens in the day and it also happens in the night. It's kind of indiscriminate. When it happens at night, it's a nightmare. When it happens in the day, it's a flashback. But it happens all the time. In that kind of real heightened period of trauma, it's still really good to sleep. People often don't want to go to sleep because they're afraid of the nightmares. But counterintuitively, it's really good to experience those emotions when you're asleep. But you mentioned lucid dreaming as well. Trauma is kind of out of control. I think trauma is a bit too extreme for a lucid dreaming type capacity. It's quite hard to lucid dream. You've got to have a lot of control. So to experience something really traumatic, I don't think it would work. I think there are safer spaces for it. With kind of more everyday grief, extreme emotion, sleep totally helps. And and having the opportunity to experience those emotions absolutely alleviates the extremity of that emotion as well. So we're really sure that sleep has what we call an emotion regulation function. In a time when we've lost so much control over our lives, it's tempting to try and claw it back in our dreams. But things are never that easy, are they? Turns out that achieving genuine lucidity in dreams is incredibly rare, and incredibly difficult. If we want to affect real change in our lives, we probably have to do most of the work while we're awake. Bummer. If you're listening and lamenting your powerlessness in dreams, don't despair, because it sure could be worse. Here's a piece by playwright Matilda Beanie. Don't panic, don't move. It's all about a stunningly scary experience of sleep paralysis. 
it is forbidden to communicate with your kind. You're not supposed to be able to hear us. But the borders between our worlds are becoming porous. A great change occurring in your world has been causing waves in ours. Mm. Mm. You're so naughty, Travante. Mm. Just one more bite. That's V sleep talking. She's one of you. Spirit. Clay. Human. And she begins our story. Well, she's having one of those dreams. V is a youthful 30-year-old. V is single. She'd want you to know that. She has really curly eyelashes and wild, bushy eyebrows like a growing toddler. She wouldn't want you to know that. And right now, she's asleep in the studio flat she rents. V stirs. Everything in her room begins to rattle. Her lamp, the hallway light, her makeup strewn dresser. The sound of slow drumming in the distance. Travante, wait. V mumbles. The slow drumming is now accompanied with a crackling sound, the kind oil makes when it hits a hot pan. Don't panic. It's not real. Don't move. It can't hurt you. You don't have to stay here if you don't want to. It's your dream. You can go anywhere. V whispers to herself. She doesn't get them as much now. In fact, she can't remember the last time she had one, but she'll never forget the first one. V was 10, and after drifting off whilst watching one of her mum's Nollywood films in the living room, she woke up on the sofa and she could hear white noise, but she couldn't understand how when the TV was off. So she tries to get up and go to her bedroom, except she can't move. It's like her whole body was glued to the sofa. She couldn't even move a finger. She spots something move in the corner of her eye, but she can't turn her head to get a better look. It's but a still shadow in the very edges of her periphery until it moves closer to her. This this thin, shadowy figure with its rough edges and beetle-like skin then proceeds to sit on V's small lap. A strange sight to behold. She struggles to take a breath in or out. Unable to move or even cry, a single tear rolls down this little girl's face as the very last remnants of air get stuck in her throat. Everything goes dark. You see, this was the first time V had experienced sleep paralysis. What she mistook as a one-off vivid night terror was in fact the beginning of a pattern of encounters with this night entity that would visit her again and again. And again, its weight always crushing her chest and forcing air out of her lungs like a whoopee cushion until her bedroom lights switched on and she screamed herself awake, frightening her mum. Did it offer you anything to eat? V's mum asked. No, V replied. Okay, good. Why? Never you eat anything in your dream, even if it's me offering it to you. You don't know who made it or what they put in it. Eating in your dreams invites evil into your life. And even now, at 30, 
As the drumming became heavy footsteps that got closer and closer, as the crackling of the white noise got louder, V could not help but panic the fear in her rising up like it did when she was a child. I know you're not real, she says, her eyes fixed on the door. Just, just go away, please. It begins to make its way to its favorite spot on her body. It stops in the middle of the room and changes course. V starts whispering, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The entity heads to the end of her bed and begins to perch on the end. Its weight begins to sink into the bed, causing it to tip her bed like a seesaw. It turns its head sharply to V. And forgive us our trespasses. V's eyes scramble to make out what she's looking at. Its face is a void of nothingness. As we forgive those who trespass against us, the white noise is getting so loud. She's trying to shout over the volume. Her heart is beating so loud it's now thumping her eardrums. Her bed rumbles. The lamp in her room flickers uncontrollably. The entity's voice cuts through like a shard of glass through skin. They say the night is incomplete without the day. Like a newborn is without his cries. Let Yemoja's moonshine guide you all to slumber. But you will rise, Victoria. You will rise. Didenle. Deliver us from evil! V screams as she's thrown out of her bed. Ah! Escapes her lips, her face stinging from the slap the laminate flooring has just given her. V scrambles into the corner of the room, away from the entity sat on her bed. The knight sits awkwardly between them, like a deadly fart in the air. She pinches herself to check if she's awake. She winces at the pain. She pinches herself even harder, just to be sure. She groans. The entity sits quietly on the end of V's bed, head down and shoulders hunched forward, almost as if it's contemplating. Who are you? What do you want? The entity doesn't respond. V notices her phone, now under the bed and still charging. She considers her options. Try to make a run for it, when she hasn't run since the egg and spoon race to battle of year 9 sports day. Or try and leapfrog to her phone, but risk being crushed by the bed should the entity stand up. Even if by some miracle she managed to get to her phone, who's she going to call? Uh, the police? Ghostbusters? Or Mum, the Nigerian exorcist? Before V has a chance to make up her mind, I'm so tired. I just need to rest, the entity sighs. V feels a gust of wind on the other side of the room pin her against the wall. The entity speaks as though you can hear the time it takes to translate its thoughts in a way she can understand. So, you understand me? What do you want? The entity is still pondering. The entity stands up unexpectedly, slamming the vertical bed back down. Fuck. A stunned V tries to shrink herself into the tiniest ball possible, head in her knees. Please don't kill me. V looks up from her cocoon and watches as the entity seems to take off what can only be described as a large cloak of armour and dumps it onto her bed, revealing a slender form underneath. Is this any better? 
I, I don't mean to scare you. Ray looks bewildered. We are not permitted to converse with your kind. But this, this tiredness in me is loud and frustrating. But who, who are you? Well, that is not important. No, fuck about this when you've been haunting me in my dreams for over half my life. I too have matured, as you have. V is struck by the entity's response, as if it sees itself as some kind of weird sibling. Up close, V realizes this thing that has haunted her all these years isn't so terrifying. Its spiky, armored cloak looks like, well, just like an old cloak. Its looming presence looks more like a palm tree than creature, and most importantly, its face, barely visible in the dark, looks almost human. You have been experiencing great waves where there were once minor tides. Exhaustion eats away at us where we were once full. What does it feel like? The entity humbly asks. What does what feel like? Slumber. V ponders this for a moment. She's not quite sure how to phrase her answer as she has many questions of her own. I think sleep is like a break, a pocket of escapism from living without having to die. Because being alive can be a lot. Don't they let you like clock out of your, your job? Is that what you call what you do? You know, demon sitting on people's chest thing. Oh, I'm not a demon. It snaps. I'm natural, but I am weary. My armor is heavy. I decide to try it someday, to slumber as restoratively as you do. Oh, I mean, sleep's all right, V says, a little disillusioned. Some days she doesn't get out of bed till three in the afternoon. Not because she's ill or anything, she's bored and a little depressed. She's not been out in over four months because of her severe asthma and she's just itching to get out. But also she doesn't want to take that risk, so dreaming is her only way of getting out of her studio flat. Don't you ever sleep? Oh, we are not permitted to in this form. Maybe you and your colleagues could demand some kind of working boundaries, a union? The entity laughs, which makes V jump. Its laugh sounds more like thousands of fingernails scraping down the blackboard. <laughs> Your kind are not just funny looking. You are also very funny. <laughs> we are bound to our duties. Only then are we permitted to roam free. What? Like, anywhere? So long as you do not interfere in the dream realm. V's mind begins to race at the idea of being able to roam all over the world with no risk of falling ill, money trouble, or visa problems, or racism. Could I come? The entity looks at V confused. I won't tell if you won't, just for a night. I need a break from this flat, and you just need a break. Only to the next sunset. So you can roam free and I can sleep for the first time? V nods. And I can visit other people's dreams, right? So long as I don't interfere. The entity nods. 
or risk being trapped there. Look, but don't touch. Got ya. <laughs> I can't wait to scare the living shit out of my ex. I'm going to give him a nightmare so bad he wets himself. Be thinks for a moment. And how do I come back? Just come back to your bedroom and wake yourself up. Uh, do we have an agreement? Deal. V smiles. The entity doesn't seem to notice. It walks over to a bed and pulls back its armoured cloak that was covering the bed. V turns around and the entity clips the cloak around V's neck. Heavier than it looks, she quips. What's, What's that? that under my duvet? V pulls back the duvet and is frozen in confusion. It's her. She's still curled up asleep in bed, at least her body is. The entity kneels beside her body. Whoa, what, what, what are you doing? Your mind is awake, but your body is empty. I need to open your eyes to complete the swap. Lao Jue, Victoria. Lao Jue, it says as it strokes her arm. I thought you were just going to sleep in my bed. I will, but in you. V groans in agony as her teeth are pushed out by her new razor-sharp ones that force their way out of her bleeding gums. What's, what, what's happening to me? Oh, don't panic. It's just part of the process. If, if she wakes up, what happens to me? Oh, you aren't you anymore. I will be. I will. She tries to take off the armour, but she can't find a clasp to unlock it. Why can't I take this off? It is your duty now. V's skin begins to shed like dandruff, little flakes at first. When she takes off her bonnet, her scalp comes off with it. She lets out an involuntary screech. Oh, I, I'll take it back. I, I, I don't want to go. I'll break our deal. It is too late to stop it. Once your eyes are open, <laughs> I shall enter my new home. Why are you doing this to me? Uh, you accepted my invitation. You always had such a sweet tooth. I spent a long time waiting for you. The cloak begins to pull V out of her bedroom. She screams and tries to resist the wind that's pulling the cloak by the neck, but there's no point fighting it. The sun is coming up. No, no, please don't do this. What did I ever do to you? Now, Jui, does it. Body stirs. She murmurs as her eyelids gently flutter open. V disappears from this realm. I hoped she would be enough. I vowed she would be the last, but I thirst for your bodies. I feed off your hunger. I crave your fantasies. May sweetened dreams fill your nights until my arrival. That was Don't Panic, Don't Move by Matilda Abidi. A terrifying perspective on what it's like to be locked into yourself. So the entities are what I associate with the sleep paralysis. There are some large ones that can look very demonic and hunched over, like nothing in a human form. 
um, very dark shadows, very dark elongated shapes that are crouched around the bed sometimes. And then there might be a large one that will weight down on my chest and that's when I'm feeling this pressure. Like, you know, I can't breathe and I'm struggling. And that takes us to the end of part one. But don't worry, if you're set on gaining control over your dreams, there are still options we have not tried. And some of them sound a little more up my street. In part two of this dream odyssey, we are going to learn about hallucinogenics, happy trips, and total head fucks. Don't drift off. I'll see you in part two. Part one of that podcast, where Keanu Reeves saves us all using the power of dreams, and we take some LSD in order to confront the unconfrontable things in life was hosted by Sophie Duca and featured Dr. Caroline Horton and contributions from members of the public. The Emperor Warhol and the Queen was written by Abby Spallon, performed by Kathy Kira Clark and directed by John R. Wilkinson, with sound design by Alexandra Faye Braithwaite. Don't Panic, Don't Move was written by Matilda Ibini, performed by Papa Isedu and directed by Jennifer Baxt, with sound design by Max Pappenheim. The host script was written by Jennifer Baxt and Sophie Duca. Full series production credits are available in the show description. That podcast is a Story Glass and ETT co-production. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 